Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In this episode, we're talking to Minnesota State Representative Cedric Frazier. Representative Frazier is an author and proponent of the state's Restore the Vote law that grants people convicted of a felony the right to vote once they complete their incarceration. It also restores voting rights for people on parole. There's also a racial disparity that these efforts could correct. In 2022, about 2% of the population could not vote due to felony disenfranchisement laws. However, more than 5% of the black voting age population was denied the right to vote, compared to 1.5% of all other races. The health consequences of taking away voting rights are significant. Voting keeps political leadership incentivized by the health needs of communities. It also supports health on a personal level by promoting civic engagement. Before we get started, we'd like to thank Care Content, our partner for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, let's get into part one of our discussion. Cedric, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, man, I'm glad to be here. Finally. Finally. I know. We've, <laughs> we've talked about this for some time now, but you have a few other priorities, which we'll dive into in this podcast, but we're so glad that you're able to, to join today. I'm really glad to be here. Awesome. Well, let's get started. There's a lot to talk about, and I know I'm excited to hear about it, and the audience is excited as well. Let's start with your commitment to restoring voting rights to convicted felons. Is there a personal story behind why you decided to spearhead this as a Minnesota state representative? Let me start with this. This is from the Declaration of Independence, and it says, government is legitimate only when it rests on the consent of the governed. That's the Declaration of Independence. That is a great statement, a great aspiration. Uh, it was something unique. No other country had anything like that. But we know at the time of the Declaration of Independence, we know what was going on in this country, right? We know that there were folks that were enslaved and there were folks that were not considered to be human beings. So I, I like history. I don't consider myself a history buff, but I do like to pay attention to history because it, I think it aids us in knowing where we came from and where we need to go or what we should aspire to. It also informs us on what we look at today, if things are going really well, how do we get there? And what we look at today, if things are not going so well, when we have all these disparities, how do we get here? And because we have not lived up to that statement in the Declaration of Independence, we have these great disparities and these great inequities. And we have also really never had a government that was governed by the will of the consent of those that are being governed. And so that, that long intro <laughs> is part of the reason why 
I wanted to take this bill on because we've got disproportionate number of uh, people of color, but particularly African-Americans that have been disenfranchised from their opportunity to have their voices heard in our democracy. And as we all know, the voice in a democracy is foundationally, it is the right to vote. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more about where you're from and, and how you got where you are today. Absolutely. So I originally uh, born and raised uh, in Chicago, Illinois. Proud, proud South Sider. <laughs> the native street I grew up on was 73rd and Carpenter, uh, the Inglewood community, uh, which in itself has had a, a lot of challenges, still has a lot of challenges today. And a large part has to do with the many policies that were put in place and the uh, disinvestments within that community when it largely became um, highly gentrified and, and, and largely segregated. I will never want to change uh, what I learned from growing up um, on the south side of Chicago. I think it, much of life lessons that I had growing up on the south side of Chicago built the foundation in the, the character that I have and the things that I fight for and advocate for and believe in today. One thing I believe in is that, you know, government should be and do good for people and government absolutely can do good for people. And I believe that when you have a government that is representative of the community that is serving, you will have better policies and you will have better outcomes for everybody because it will be representative and those outcomes and those policies will be designed in a manner to truly represent the individuals that are in that community. Yeah. I love how you, you grounded this conversation on history mm. and how history is still present today and, and the inequities that we see. And I love how you talked about full representation in, in our government to improve our democracy. Let's talk about U.S. felony disenfranchisement or denying a specific population the right to vote. It has a deeply rooted history, especially in Black communities, as you know. How does this history play a role in current U.S. voting laws? And do you consider these laws a form of racism? Yeah, so, I mean, I started off with that grounding in the history because I think it's beneficial to know uh, how we started. with The aspiration that we started with versus what we actually had a large part up until we had the Voting Rights Act uh, in the 60s, right? What we had essentially was this system that allowed white individuals to participate in our democracy and to vote for those that could represent them and who they wanted to represent them. And they could also run for office. And then we had black folks, folks that had formerly been enslaved that were totally excluded, totally excluded, didn't have a voice, didn't have a right to participate, couldn't run for office. I will back up and say that after the Civil War, if you look at the uh, look at the information and look at the, the history after the Civil War, in large part in the South, many of those legislators were starting to actually reflect what the residents and the community members looked like. But then shortly after that, this is where we started to see all of the Jim Crow laws and some of these laws that were put in place around felony disenfranchisement, they were a form of the Jim Crow laws. We started to see after the Civil War, after the 14th, 15th Amendment, 13th Amendment, what we started to see were state legislators. And we have archival transcribed records of them saying, we have to put these laws in place to prevent Black people from taking over our states, right? So obviously this was absolutely about race. 
There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. We can just be clear about that. I don't really care what, what the current conservative Supreme Court says that, you know, race is over. We shouldn't talk about it anymore. It was absolutely felony. Voter disenfranchisement was absolutely based on race, and we need to deal with that. And my reason for carrying this law was to rectify some of those things and to provide back the ability for people to be heard in our democracy, at least in the state of Minnesota. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Crutchfield Dermatology. Crutchfield Dermatology is a dermatologist's office in Egan, Minnesota. Before his recent passing, Dr. Crutchfield was recognized as one of the nation's leading authorities on skin of color. For more information, please go to www.crutchfielddermatology.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. Let's dive into the state of Minnesota. Talk to me about the Restore the Vote law. What was the genesis of this? And we understand you're talking about the history, so we know the reason behind that. But talk about the genesis of that, the process, and how you got to that day when you were signing the actual bill itself. The law is restoring the right to vote of anyone who was convicted of a felony um, the moment that they are released from the incarceral state. So if you're serving time and you've been released back into the community, even if you're still on parole, which means even if you still have some connection to that to that system, you are allowed to vote as long as you are not incarcerated and you're back into the community. And the reason that's important is because for a long time here in Minnesota, we actually did restore a vote. But it was after, if you were a convicted felon, it was after you were totally off of probation or parole and in the criminal justice system is known as being totally off paper, right? So that means you didn't have to do any any more reporting for probationary, anything like that. You were totally off paper. Now, part of the problem with this, even though it was a good thing that your rights were restored after that, which which in some cases, I'll tell you pleasant, in some cases for individuals, that could have been several decades after they were actually released from the incarceration state. That means they were in the community, taking care of their families, working a job, paying taxes, but they never had a chance. They never had a chance to choose the person that represented them on their city council, state representatives, state senators, governor, president. They never had a chance to do that, right? Think about that. I'm being taxed, working a job. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm a law-abiding citizen now, but I don't have a chance to participate in our democracy. I don't have a chance to pick someone that embodies the values that I believe they should have to represent me in our government. That's that's what we had and that in those instances where like I said it could be several decades for people to participate. This law became effective on June the first. Now, as long as you are out, you have the ability, you can register to vote and you can participate in our democracy. It took us twenty years to get to this point. It goes back to when now Attorney General Keith Ellison was in the State House of Representatives. It goes back to when now President of the Senate, Bobby Joe Champion, was in the House of Representatives. It goes back 20 years to get to this point where we are today. 
a lot of hearings, a lot of community organizing, a lot of those folks that were impacted spending days, weeks, months, years coming to the Capitol, testifying, telling their story to get to this point where we finally, finally got it done. And, and what I always say is that, you know, I was just I was just one part of this marathon relay that we had. And I was very fortunate and very happy and very proud to be on the anchor league to get it across the finish line. 20 years, 20 years. That, that speaks to the endurance and the persistence to get it across the line. Early July, the Minnesota Voters Alliance filed a lawsuit against the Restore the Vote law, saying it violates the Minnesota Constitution. What was your reaction to this, and and how did you expect this lawsuit to unfold? I will say, you know, just in terms of the debate that we had on the House floor and the debates I listened to in the Senate when we were taking this bill through and ultimately getting it passed and just looking at some of the conversations around the country. Pleasant, this goes back, again, if you follow the history, this is just, this is echoes from the past, right? You've got folks that are saying that certain people just shouldn't be allowed to vote, Yeah. right? And it just so happened to be those certain people tend to disproportionately be black people and other people of color. Yeah. And a lot of that has to deal with, there's this fear, and it comes from this kind of zero-sum idea, this zero-sum myth that if these folks have a voice, then somehow things that I have my livelihood, my lifestyle, my way of living is going to be diminished, which is absolutely false, right? We're talking about having policies that represent everyone, policies that will benefit everyone by giving those individuals a voice to pick the representatives that they want that reflect and and embody their values. That means everyone's going to do better, which means my life's going to be better for it, your life's going to be better for it, those people that that are pushing fear and division, their lives are actually going to be better for it. Right. That, that, that is that, that is the reality when we have a multiracial democracy that is actually looking out for everyone within that democracy and providing policies and governing based on a reflection of that multiracial democracy. So I think the lawsuit itself is continuing on to scare people. It wants folks that are now going to have the ability to register to vote and to participate in our democracy. It wants them to believe that, oh, wait a minute, there's this lawsuit. So if I do register and if I vote, it's possible if this lawsuit succeeds, I'm going to be in violation of the law. That is absolutely a thousand percent false, right? Right now, the current law is in place. There has not been anything to stop us from moving forward and allowing people to exercise their right to register the vote and then vote in upcoming elections. So I want people to know you can continue to do that. You still have your voice. You still have your right based on this law. In terms of the merits of the case, I believe the case has no merits. And the reason I believe that is because before we put the law in place, there was a case at the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court said that this is up to the legislator to decide when to give individuals their rights back. It is up to the legislator to decide when to restore voting rights back to those that have been convicted of felonies. That is exactly what the law is. The Supreme Court is very clear about that. I remember talking to folks after the case came down. I said, we are undeterred as a legislator. We're going to move forward and we're going to do exactly what the Supreme Court says we have the power to do. And that is what we did. That is what the law is. I believe the case has no merit. I believe the case is only in place to scare folks and discourage them from participating in our democracy. 
Stay tuned for part two of our discussion. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.